Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Friday broadcast of Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett, and so glad that you are joining us today. And on this Friday broadcast, we're kind of wrapping up the series that we're doing on marriage. And today I want to talk about sweet starts and sweet restarts, okay? And maybe you need a restart in your marriage today, and maybe you kind of got off the wrong foot, and maybe things are kind of falling apart for you. And uh, there's a verse that I would like to have you commit to memory. Romans 4, 17, the first part of that verse says that God raises the dead to life and he creates new things. Uh, So maybe you need a new thing in your marriage. Maybe uh, you need some new freshness brought into your marriage. Maybe it's become stale. Maybe you've become out of harmony with your spouse and, and maybe you've experienced some hostility toward one another. Maybe you become apathetic toward one another. Listen, in Romans chapter four, that little phrase I gave you, God raises the dead to life and he creates new things, comes in the context of Abraham. You know, Abraham, in hope, believed that he was going to be the father of many nations. I mean, the guy's 100 years old, but he hasn't lost his hope. He hasn't stopped believing. Now, verse 19 says, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's room was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he promised. Now listen, Jesus said, Matthew 19, what God hath put together, let no man tear it asunder. You know, I heard a story about a woman whose husband was unfaithful to her, and he decided that he would divorce his wife and go marry another woman. This particular lady who was experiencing the pain of divorce and separation and the pain of an unfaithful spouse decided that she would pray fervently for her husband. And so she prayed fervently for her husband. You know, after a decade, that husband came to his senses. And through a series of events, that marriage fell apart. Uh, He married this other woman. That marriage fell apart. He came back to his first wife. He confessed of his sin, and his wife took him back. Today, that couple has been married over 20 years. Now, I know that is an unbelievable story, right? Uh, That is something that you very rarely will hear about. Maybe your marriage is not that far gone, but you feel like there's no hope in your marriage. I want to share with you today four wrongs that every marriage will encounter, and then I want to share with you how you can navigate through these four wrongs. Now, just because you experience these four wrongs doesn't mean that your marriage is over. Okay, number one is unrealistic expectation. Always expect more from yourself than you do your spouse. So when we think about this, when we get married, uh, we have these grandiose ideas of how things are going to come together. And I want you to know that within a week of being married, I had some expectations and they were unrealistic And I got a dose of reality within the first week of being married, right? And so as a result of coming back from our honeymoon, I had these expectations of where we're going to be in our finances, where we're going to be emotionally as a couple, uh, where we're going to be in our relationship after a week of marriage. And and man, it all fell apart on me, right? Uh, So always expect more from yourself than your spouse. And the problem wasn't that my spouse was underperforming. It was that I was unrealistic. I expected too much. And when my expectations were not met, I was greatly disappointed. You know, this is a good rule for life as a whole. If you're taking on a new job, 
Uh, maybe you think this new job is going to be perfect, right? And, and you're going to get into this job and you're going to discover, man, this thing is not as good as I thought it was. The same is true with church, right? Uh, as a matter of fact, some people drop out of church because they have these unrealistic expectations for what the church is going to be like. Listen, the church is not perfect because the church is not a showcase for the saints. It's a hospital for the sinners. Hospitals are a place where sick people go, broken people go to get mended. That's how the church is. Uh, it looks really nasty. It looks really gnarly. Uh, as a matter of fact, somebody told me one time, uh, if you ever watch a sausage patty being made or a sausage link being made, you'd never have another sausage in your life. You say, don't give me that sausage biscuit from Hardee's. I saw that thing being made. But you know, the end product tastes pretty good. And the same is true with marriage. You're going to face some unrealistic expectations. Uh, number two, you're also going to have some unexpected differences. We are different. We're different. And oftentimes, we don't recognize how different we are until we get married. We don't accept those differences oftentimes. In fact, sometimes we actually resent these differences. You know, you've all heard of uh, that cliche that opposites attract, and that's true. But after the marriage, opposites not only attract, but then they attack. What used to fascinate you now frustrates you, and it, and it irritates you. It is kind of an interesting thing because God wired you in such a way that you naturally seek out people who compliment you and who are a little bit different than you. In fact, it's fascinating to meet somebody uh, that's a little different from you. For instance, people who are, are very structured in their lives tend to seek out and find people who are spontaneous. Why? Because we're different. It's interesting. People who are reserved tend to seek out people who tend to be outgoing. There's something attractional about that. At first, we're fascinated with the opposites, but then we tend to look at these differences and we say, we can't accept it. One guy told me, I knew I was marrying Mrs. Wright. I just didn't know her first name was always. <laughs> Maybe that's how you feel right now. Did you know that God's number one tool in your sanctification, if you're married, is your partner, your mate, your husband, your wife. God uses your husband or your wife more than any other tool in your life to help you to grow up spiritually. It doesn't matter if you're a believer or not. He will use them. He will use them to sand off and those rough edges in your life because we need that, because nobody has it all together. So God's number one tool in your life to grow you up is the growth within your marriage relationship. You know, I don't worry about marriages where people are really different. I worry about marriages where the people are too much alike. Now, Billy Graham says, if both husband and wife are identical, one of them is not necessary. They have the same weaknesses. They have the same problems. They have the same depression. Uh, they get bored with each other. I can honestly say I have never been bored with my wife. Frustrated, yes. Never bored uh, because we are so different. God says, I want you to learn to accept the differences because they're intentional. They help you to grow. Uh, so we've learned so far that there's certain things that you cannot get around. You're going to encounter these four things in your marriage. Number one, unrealistic expectations. Number two, unaccepted differences. Number three, unresolved issues. You see, the worst unresolved issues aren't the ones that were created in your marriage. They're the ones that you brought into your marriage from the things you learned in your family. When you got married, you weren't a blank slate. 
You grew up in a family that had certain ways of doing things, certain habits and patterns, ways of doing things that you were taught and you thought they were normal. Your spouse grew up in another family with habits and patterns of ways of doing things, and she thought that was normal. Uh, So you both came into this marriage thinking that your way is the right way, and to do it that way, and, and when it didn't go that way, it created some issues, and they're unresolved issues. In Ephesians 4.31, we are told to let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander put them away from you, along with malice. And instead of having that, you put that to the side. Instead, be kind to one another, tender-hearted toward one another, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You see, all of us carry baggage into our marriage. It's like you've got a big garbage sack on the back of you that you carry into your marriage. You carry hurts and you carry habits. You you carry all these hang-ups from your previous family into this marriage. Uh, The more pain you had growing up in your family, the more baggage you're going to be carrying into that marriage and the more problems you're going to be going to have to work through and resolve. Marriage doesn't create problems. It reveals problems. It shows the area of your life that you need to work on. You know, if you had been a single adult all your life and you had not chosen to get married, you might be able to go through all of your life uh, with all these habits and all these hurts and and all these hang-ups, and nobody would ever bug you about them because nobody was close enough to you to really see them. If, on the other hand, you choose to get married and then you all of a sudden let somebody into your life, who's up close and personal, and and they can see all of your hang-ups, and they can see all of your faults and all of your weaknesses. When they get up close and personal, they say, I see this, and I can help them. So I will start a little personal improvement program for them. It's called Let's Change You. Well, you're on the other hand saying, I'm not the one who needs changing. You're a person who needs change yourself. (laughs) So you get this personal improvement program from your spouse that says, let's change you. And then the sparks begin to fly because you say, oh yeah, I need to change you. You see, you brought far more flaws into your marriage than you ever realized. In many ways, your family set you up for this, both for success and for failure. In your family, you learn some great strengths, but you also learn some great weaknesses. And you bring far more weaknesses into your marriage than you do strengths. When they get in there and and you start fighting over them, and some of you are still reacting to things in the past and in your present, and and you're still wrestling with them, maybe your parents or one of them were over-controlling, or or maybe they didn't pay enough attention to you, or, or maybe they didn't affirm you enough. But for whatever reason, you are finding yourself stuck in that resentment. You got some anger that's festering. You got some problems and you got some grudges that are stored up against your parents. Then you come into a marriage, and, and anytime your spouse even remotely reminds you about the thing that you hated so much in your parents, maybe that controllingness or that, that domineering personality, uh, you won't listen to them because it reminds you of a hundred different things that happened in your previous family. Uh, you take it to heart. You get angry because of it. And this unresolved hurt turns into bitterness. And I want you to know that you can't get past this happening. 
unresolved issues. There's a fourth thing that you can't get past. Let me review. Number one was unrealistic expectations. Number two was unaccepted differences. Number three was unresolved issues. And then number four is unforgiven of mistakes. You see, the mistakes that that we make, if they aren't dealt with and they remain unforgiven, can cause barriers to build up and to move you from hostility toward apathy. The truth is, is that we're all imperfect people and, and we tend to hurt one another, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. We sin, we fail, we are selfish. And the truth is, you're going to be hurt in life. And the person who has the greatest potential to hurt you is always the person that you love the most. That's why forgiveness must become a daily habit in marriage. Marriage needs massive doses of forgiveness because we are imperfect. If you hold on to your hurts in your marriage, if you hold on to a mistake, if you don't let it go, if you don't forgive, then those wounds will fester and they will get worse and worse. What is the worst sin in marriage? I know what you think. It's not adultery. The worst sin in your marriage is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is the worst sin in marriage. Why? Because it's the one that holds every other sin captive. Look what Hebrews 12 says, verse 15 to 17. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up and troubles you, corrupting many. So what is Paul saying? He says, look out for each other and make sure that that bitterness doesn't sneak in. And how does that happen? Bitterness begins to creep in when we miss the grace of God. When we no longer respond to God's graciousness and God's forgiveness, we can't help but become a person of bitterness. He continues on in verse number 16. See to that that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. What was he trying to do? He was trying to get past a hurt without repenting. He wanted the blessings of being past a hurt. He was looking for that blessings with tears, but he couldn't change his mind over changing his sacrifice. You know, it's the one that won't let go. You have been forgiven by God, and and God expects you to forgive others. When you hold on to that hurt, you perpetrate the pain. You, You don't make it better. You make it worse. And if you are holding on to a grudge, and if you are are using something that happened in the past as leverage, and you're holding it over your spouse, you are the one that's destroying your marriage. Why would anybody do that? Why would anybody hold on to a hurt intentionally? Now, obviously, it doesn't feel good when you're full of resentment, and it, and it hurts, and it hurts more than it does the other person. So why do I intentionally hold on to unforgiveness in my heart? I'll tell you why. To soothe my own guilt and to use it as ammunition. You see, in your mind, you've got this scale and and I've done wrong and what you've done is wrong, but my wrong is greater than your wrong. 
I don't want to feel guilty about my wrongs, so the way that I balance my guilt is by blaming you for stuff. When you say you did that, I can say, but you did that. You are trying to justify everything by holding on to that grudge, that unforgiveness as ammunition to get back. That will sink a marriage. Dennis Rainey said this, Oneness in marriage involves complete unity with each other. It's more than a mere mingling of two humans. It's a tender merger of body, soul, and spirit. Well, maybe as you've listened to me today, you said, man, I've experienced all four of these encounters. I've had unrealistic expectations. I've had unaccepted differences. I've had unresolved issues. And I am struggling with unforgiving of mistakes of my spouse. What in the world should I do? Well, let me give you steps to a marriage that will give you a a sweet restart, okay? Number one is accept responsibility for my part. Galatians 6.5 says, each person must be responsible for himself. Now, I can't be responsible for my spouse's actions. I can only be responsible for my part. I can't respond or I can't control what my spouse does. I am only responsible for my reaction and my attitude. So what does this mean? This means that I will acknowledge that part of the dilemma here is me. And it may not even be the majority of the problem being me, but I'm taking responsibility for my part. You know, somebody says the grass is not greener on the other side of the fence. The grass is greener on the other side of the fence because it is watered and fertilized. If you're looking at somebody else's marriage and say, why is it they have such a great marriage and I have such a lousy marriage, I promise you that they both have learned to accept responsibility for their part. Each person must be responsible for their own. I was reading about a Swiss psychiatrist, and he wrote a book called Understanding Each Other. And he said, this so-called incompatibility is a myth invented by judges in order to make a plea for divorce. It's like a common excuse for people to hide their feelings, to hide their misunderstandings, and not take ownership for what they've done wrong. You see, a successful marriage will own and admit their mistakes. Secondly, and we're going to do this alphabetically, ready? Letter A is accept. Letter B is believe. Believe that God can change my marriage. Matthew 19, 26, humanly speaking, it's impossible with God. Everything is possible. Maybe you're looking at your your marriage and say, man, uh, this thing is over. There is no way this thing can be turned around. Well, let me give you a bonus verse here. And I'm just going to read it to you, right? 1 Peter chapter 3, wives in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. So believing that my husband can be saved, and I think the reverse is also true, believe my wife can be changed, I am going to be praying for her. When they see your purity and the reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adoration or adornment, such as the elaborate hairstyle and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be of your inner self that unfading beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is of greater worth in God's sight. For this is the way holy women in the past put their hope in God, used to adore themselves. 
They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah submitted to Abraham. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wife. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs of your gracious gift of life so that nothing hinders your prayer. So believing that God can change my marriage, I am going to not get on my bully pulpit and not preach at my wife or not preach against my husband. I'm going to have this inward radiance about me, this beauty and this gentle and this quiet spirit, which are great worth. I'm going to be considerate of my spouse, treating them with respect, not downplaying the fact that they are lost or not downplaying the fact that they're not willing to work on this relationship. I'm going to believe that God can change my marriage. And then let her see. I'm going to commit to doing whatever it takes. Galatians 6, 9 reminds us that we should not get tired of doing what is right. For after a while, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't get discouraged, if we don't give up. Hanging in there. Even when it doesn't appear like it's coming together, I'm going to do whatever it takes on my part to bring about this marriage, to bring about the success of this marriage. Well, I got to move along because of time, but letter D is I'm going to deal with unresolved hurt. This is the hurt that I have that maybe I've been denying that I have. James 5.16 tells us to admit your faults to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, let me give you a really practical way of doing this. Let's suppose you have an unbelieving spouse. And you may need to ask their forgiveness for being self-righteous or maybe being too pushy. We are told in 1 Corinthians 7.12 that we are to serve our spouse. If a brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has an unbelieving husband and is sanctified through his wife, the unbelieving wife is sanctified through a believing husband, for otherwise your children are unclean, for they are holy. Now, there's three little words we all have to learn in a relationship. And here it is. I was wrong. Now, some of you may have had an argument today with your spouse. And you're sitting here and you're thinking, why are we talking about this today? Uh, Why are we going through this again today? I want to encourage you. Use those three words with your spouse. I was wrong. You know, recently a survey was made of 200 married adults in regards to this matter of forgiveness. The researchers were wondering how one's ability to forgive others would affect the marital satisfaction and their personal well-being. The results were astounding. This research suggests that there is a huge relationship between marriage satisfaction and forgiveness. In fact, it appears that as much as one-third of marriage satisfaction is related to forgiveness. So two married people who are successful in their marriage are enjoying satisfaction and intimacy and still in love with each other are just two people who have learned to be two great forgivers. Not only does the ability to forgive impact our marriage relationship, it was also significantly related to personal emotional distress. As forgiveness ability went up, individuals reported fewer symptoms of depression, anxiety, and fatigue. These results are powerful and suggest that all counselors, both secular and faith-based, 
should consider helping people develop the skill of forgiveness. Well, let's look at letter E. If you want to have a marriage that gets past some of these hurts, enlist help from godly people. Proverbs 24.3 says, It takes wisdom to have a good family, and it takes understanding to make it strong. So get all the advice and all the instruction you can. One final thing in the minute that we have left in the broadcast. Letter F, focus on Jesus. Hebrews 12.2 says, We must focus on Christ, the source and the goal of our marriage. You see, marriage can be like a three-legged stool, and it takes three to make the marriage work. It takes you, your spouse, and God. A two-legged stool goes over and falls over so easy, it has no stability. It takes three. God never intended marriage just to be two. God meant marriage to be three. You, your spouse, and God. You need to put Christ in the center of your life, in the center of your marriage. You will discover that that marriage will become stronger with time. I close with one final verse, Philippians 2.13. God, who is at work within you, will give you the will and the power to achieve His purpose. God bless you. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.